Let's go to James, book of James. Um, go to chapter 1, and uh, we'll get there eventually. Um, as you are turning there, you know, today, uh, we're just supposed to have our fall fun day outside, and then turns out this morning they're like, yeah, it's going to storm, and so we moved everything inside, which pretty much guarantees a bluebird sunny day. Uh, Around here, but everything's been moved inside, and so I hope that you can stick around with us as we get everything uh, set up and stuff like that. We're done. I'll talk more about that at the very end. Um, But uh, we have some business to do first, right? Like we we are not just here for the fall fun day. We are here to meet with the Lord, and He has some things to say to us this morning. And uh, if you're here with us for the first time, we are about halfway through a, a fall teaching series that is centered around Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, he is speaking to the to the people of Israel. They have uh, they have a problem with idolatry, and uh, if you look on a map, Israel is uh, where it is, and every nation around all the way around them, they all would worship carvings of uh, different gods made into trees or stone. They would worship the sun. They worship the moon. They worship the river. They worship you know whatever. Um, and God was very specific with them before they came into the promised land. He said, you're going to be tempted to do like all the other nations and to worship a bunch of these created things. But uh, I'm your creator. I, I made you uh, to be in relationship with you. And so uh, you don't worship creation. You worship the creator. And even though he warned them, they fell into that trap. And one of the things we can do when we look at Israel, the, the storyline of Israel, is we see a lot of human human patterns. And sometimes it's within specific individuals, and sometimes it's just the, the, the whole group. They're, they're showing us these like things about human nature uh, when we're broken by sin. They're just things that we do that just, they just don't make sense. And, and so there's a lot that we learn from Israel. And so God sends in his prophet to tell them, Hey, you have turned to these other gods. You have forsaken me. And he uses this agricultural metaphor that we see um, that they would have really understood very quickly. Because to them, a fountain of living water was if you were a landowner and you had a spring or a river, uh, something like that, they would call it a a fountain and the water seemed alive to them because it was moving and it was clean and they didn't know where it came from. It had a life of its own. Um, That was the ideal situation if you were a landowner, is that you would have a fountain, a spring, a river of living water on your land. Um, If you didn't have that on your land, you had a couple of other options, the worst of which was a cistern, which was basically you would dig a pit into the stony bedrock of uh, the, the limestone in that part of the world. You would dig a pit, you would create this paste kind of stuff and try to line it to try to cover it to make a seal. And then you would channel water into it. And uh, that water would do what the water still does today. And if it's sitting there stagnant, it starts to grow all kinds of living creatures and all kinds of bacteria and all kinds of gross stuff. And it becomes a cesspool, basically. And that's why it was your least, it was like the worst option that you had. When you're the most desperate, that's what you would do. You just dig a cistern. 
And eventually the water would, like the, the like plaster that you would make to seal it, it would start to crack and then all the water would just drain out anyway. And so you were either giving your animals or your family or your crops this putrid water or it was draining out everywhere and it was just a big hole in the ground and eventually it would just become a grave. That's what they used them for. Um, that's what broken cisterns were used for. And so God's trying to help them understand uh, that's when you turn to to, a, to anything that's created, it could be a person, it could be a substance, it could be like a carving of some you know some god, whatever it is. You turn to something that's created instead of the creator. It's like you are digging your own broken cistern that can't even hold water. You're choosing that when you have the fountain of living water here, and so that's why the songs that we have sung today have, have pointed us in that direction. And this is what we're basing our fall semester on is 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 what what are the broken cisterns for us you know because in certain parts of the world idolatry is really it's very obvious you know there are plenty of places you go and they're worshiping statues and carvings and things like that um here where we live especially in the deep south our our idolatry is a little more subtle and so we're just taking some time to really ask the Lord, what, what are some of the things that we're looking to? And, but rather than, than focusing initially on the idol itself, it's really more about what we're searching for. Because idolatry in the, in the Bible, it begins with us, with, with you're seeking something. And so if you were wanting certain, if you wanted your crops to do well, there were certain gods that they would say you could go and worship or, if you're wanting to have a baby, there are certain gods that you can go and worship. Uh, so we start by what are we what are we looking for? Last week we talked about how we're that search for belonging that we all have, and and the like the desire to be wanted, um, and the places where we look to find that. And so if that piques your interest, go check the podcast out or YouTube or whatever. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about the, the search for guidance. Because life is, there's a lot of choices that we're making, right? All the time. We're constantly making choices. And we want to know that we're doing the right thing, right? Like there, there are, are those points in life where you make these really big choices. When you have to decide what you actually want to be when you grow up. You know, it's cute when you're in kindergarten and they're asking you so they can write it on the paper and send it home to your parents. But there comes that point when like you're kind of like getting close to graduating high school and then they're like, what are you going to do next? And you're like, oh, no, this is a real choice that I have to make. I have to do something next. And then uh, let me let me do a quick survey. Please raise your hand if you were trained in something that is not the career that you stayed in. A lot of hands, right? So you go to school, you get this degree, and then you end up doing something completely different. Happens all the time. Not to discourage our college students. Stay in school, you know? Uh, <laughs> stick it out. It's worth it. It's good. Um, but you have to make these decisions, and then, and then as you get older, the, the stakes go higher, you know? First you're figuring out a career path, and you're having to like take a job or turn down a job and consider, do I do, I, do I, I could do this job, and then it pays this much money, but this other job... Pays this much money, but then I would have to, has all these different elements to it. I might have to move. I might have to do this and this and this. Those big choices to make. 
You have relationship choices. You have choosing choosing to be committed to someone, maybe to to get married, maybe to start a family and have kids, and and maybe maybe that means bringing kids into your family through biology, or maybe it's through adoption or foster care. You know, there's a lot of choices to make. You're trying to figure out how to do all that stuff. You're trying to figure out how to schedule the important things in your life, how to put those building blocks in first, but also how to just get everything done that you need to get done. Trying to figure out how to, like, where does church fit into stuff, right? Like, this, like that's a good thing. That's an important thing. There's, there's all kinds of good and important things on the list. Trying to make those decisions. Trying to make interpersonal decisions about how do, you, how do, how do I navigate this particular conversation? How do I, how do I pursue conflict resolution in this? You know, how, do, how do I forgive uh, this person who has hurt me so much? Um, there's all kinds of decisions. There's those big, like, trajectory-setting decisions. And then there's just the day-to-day, like, as you're going about your life, choices that you're having to make. And we all want guidance, right? Like, that is just just such an important thing. And that's something that we're seeking all the time. And, you know, that's not bad at all. Like, we were, we were created... In the image of God who like makes decisions and makes choices. Like he chose to create the heavens and the earth. Father, Son, Spirit got together and said, Let's make something. Spoke it into existence. That was a choice. It was a choice to do the things the way that they did. It was a choice to make you and me in 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 the image of God. That was a choice that was made. To make us different. From the animals, different from the mountains, different from the stars, different from the angels. Like we're unique in that way. He chose it on purpose. We see in the beginnings of the Bible, he creates Adam and says it's not good for him to be alone. Creates Eve, gives them like dominion over all of the creation and says you're, you're in charge of all this, all this stuff. You're the boss. A lot of choices there, right? It says in, Gen- in Genesis that Adam had to name all the animals. That's a big job. There's a Noah's Ark full of animals, right? He had to name all of those different kinds of animals. He didn't have he didn't have name tags. He didn't have a spreadsheet. He didn't have anything. He had to do all that. That's a lot of choices to make. Then we see the most famous choice. And I want us to read it, even though you're probably familiar with it from to one degree or another. God says, you, you have your choice of, of any tree in the Garden of Eden to eat, to eat of. I've given it to you that you would enjoy it. Um, that's a lot of choices to make. Probably a lot of really good options there. And he said, but there's one tree that I don't want you to eat from because it's bad for you. And if you eat of that tree, it will bring death upon you. So don't eat of that one. But you have all these choices to make. And then there was this interaction. Genesis 3. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So they had, a, they had that choice. 
And they became convinced that God is not trustworthy. That's, that's where it all went wrong. Here's God guiding them along, giving them all the guidance that they could want, giving them dominion over all these things, name the animals, this, this is yours, I made this for you, that we could be together. And they made a poor choice and broke the world. And um, from that point until this point, our choices, like the act of choosing has become a little more complicated because we carried that brokenness within us. The image of God was distorted, and so choice became just, it just became different, it became harder. They couldn't choose God anymore, they kept choosing themselves. And that's, we see that throughout the Bible, this, this tendency to make choices that are destructive. And so Jesus shows up, and he comes and he, and, and he says, essentially, I've come to heal the brokenness that's within you. That, that thing about you where you always do the thing you don't want to do. Uh, and the things you want to do, you can't seem to do that. Like that tension that's within you, I've come to heal that. I've come to take it upon myself. And I'll take it to the grave, put it to death. And then I'll rise up, but I'll leave that in the grave. And then then I'm going to empower you and show you how to live the life you're created to live the whole time. And so that's that's where we are now, right? We're we're healed, we're we're new creations, we're not who we used to be. We were sinners, now we're saints. But we're, we're learning, though, how to choose. We're learning how to make decisions. He's making us into the kind of people who, are like, who realize that he is trustworthy and that he will guide us along. And yet there is this temptation to dig our own cisterns, to find our own sources of guidance because we are afraid. That's a part of what is still being healed in within us. Like we're new, we're new creations. We've been given a new heart, but we have this old mind that needs to be restored and and catch up with our new heart. And so God's teaching us little by little by little by little um, how to live this way. But we're afraid. We're afraid of making the wrong choices, right? Like we we see what Adam and Eve did. We could go all through the Bible and find tons of terrible choices. We can go all through human history and find bad choices. We can go through our own lives and our own track record and point to all these times where we needed guidance because left to our own devices, we were going to mess it up. There's a show that that uh, premiered this fall on NBC. It's called Ordinary Joe. I don't know if you guys are into TV. I don't know if that's still a thing. Uh, but uh, the I won't give anything away. I just watched the pilot and made my decision. Like, I'm not, I'm not watching this. But you might be into it. But the, here, here's the premise. This won't spoil anything at all. There's a guy. Uh, his name is Joe. All right, you're listening. Cool. Uh, and it starts off, it's his college graduation. And he is trying to decide... If he wants to do what his family wants him to do, which is to become a police officer and follow in his dad's footsteps, or uh, to marry the girl that he's dating and to go uh, in that, you know, down that pathway, um, and but then on graduation day, conveniently, he meets another girl that he's very interested in, and it's like, well, maybe there's something there, you know, and so there's this like moment where he's like, oh, I'm not sure what to do, and then it like hits pause. And then it jumps forward in time, like 20 years, and it shows the three different scenarios if he had chosen this or this or this. 
And in one, he's like a rock star. And in another one, he's a police officer. And another one, I think he's a doctor or something like that. And when I watched the pilot, I was like, like, it was just like one of those moments where I was like, oh yeah, no pressure. Like you're making life altering decisions all the time. That's just like what we're doing. It basically plays out our worst fear, right? That we're going to get to a point in life and we're going to look back and we're going to say, what if I had done something different at this pivotal moment? You know, would my life look better or worse or happier? Would I have more, more money? Would I have more time? Would I have different this or this or this or this or this? You know, it's that fear that at some point in our lives we chose poorly and there's like some sort of weird, like paying the consequence kind of thing for it. And so those fears stack up on us that whether it's a big, huge decision or a little small decision, that somehow we're going to mess it up, that somehow we're going to hurt someone, that somehow we're going to say the wrong thing, that somehow we're going to mess up God's will, somehow we're going to ruin our kids, you know, somehow we're going to, we're going to miss out on something, we're going to have to like let go of some American dream type stuff. Uh, that we're going to like be judged for the choices that we make and those kinds of things. We have all these fears and all these insecurities. And what happens when we're afraid? We always take control. And that's what, that's what he's saying through Jeremiah. And that's what he's saying to us as well. That the pattern is when you're freaking out about a choice, the old self in you says, I got to take the bull by the horns. I got to make, I got to do this myself. I got to dig a cistern. God's like, no, you, you don't. You don't. So what are, the, what, are the, what are the cisterns that we look to? It's important to, to recognize them. Um, I think the, the overarching term would, would simply be worldly wisdom. Like the, the, the collective, quote-unquote, wisdom of how, like how, how things work uh, from like broken humanity is just kind of put, put this like, uh, how to live life kind of tutorial together for us. And it has, it has different moving parts. Logic is one of the parts, right? Like when you're trying to make a choice, you just do the logical thing. You make a, you make a list, you make a pros, cons list, and you like weigh it all out, and then you just, you just one, one thing makes sense. You got two job, job offers on the table where you like, what's the salary, and what are the hours, and what are the benefits, and this and this and this, and then one is going to obviously outweigh the other one, and that's the one that you go with. It's just what you do. Very left brain. Uh, a, a partner with that is is information. Some of you guys are like research people, right? Like, like you're not gonna go you're not gonna go buy an electric toothbrush without like researching all the ones. You read all the Amazon reviews. You're gonna research everything that you can. Chop all the information together. It's the same kind of thing as logic, but you're just you're trying to gather as much intel as you can about about what's going on, all the different perspectives, and all the all the different things that are out there. And it's it's very cerebral and it's very uh, it's very black and white. Nothing wrong with that, right? God, God made us uh, to think and to use logic and reason, reasoning and all that. Nothing inherently wrong with that. Um, also, in the mix can be like more right brain things, right? Like our feelings, our, our, our the emotional part of it, where you're like, I mean, I just kind of want to do this. I just desire. I desire it. There's something about it. Maybe someone asks you that, you know, what do you feel drawn to? What do you have more of a piece about? That kind of thing. 
Sometimes we're, we're making choices and we go with what, what our flesh is like riled up to do in the moment. People, people are more on the right brain kind of stuff, right? Folks that want to give advice, we seek out advice for them. We're like, hey, try to make this decision. What do you, what do you think I should do? We throw out a little, little, uh, little poll, a little survey on Instagram or something like that, right? We want to know what, what people want to say. We're trying to, trying to get input. What we're really trying to do, though, is we're really trying to get validation. We're trying to get someone to be like, yes, you should definitely, definitely do that. And so whether it's left brain stuff that's a little more black and white, right brain things that are more maybe relational and all that, it's the world has com- compiled this together to the point where we don't, even, we don't even care about really the source of advice sometimes. That's why we have Delilah. I don't know Delilah personally. I have nothing against Delilah. And if you've ever called Delilah, I apologize for what I'm about to say. <laughs> I also want to talk to you afterwards because I think I would love to meet someone who's called Delilah. But you're so distraught about your relationship that you will call a DJ to talk you through your problems and to offer you encouragement. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. But we have this world of Facebook and Delilah and Dr. Phil and Oprah and all these like... all. Everything, trying to give guidance to people. Why? Because we're all searching for it. Because we feel the weight of our choices. Even the small ones, we feel the weight of it. And like I said, none of those things are inherently evil or wrong. You know, God, God made us to reason and to think, to feel. He made us interpersonal, to interact with one another. All those things are good. It's but it's when our relationship to those things becomes something that it should not be. When we begin to look to those people or those lists or those information and all those kinds of things, when those become our guiding source, they're never created to be that for us. That's, that's where the problems come in. So you push all that together and you have this worldly wisdom that's working Against us ultimately, but yet there's it's just so tempting. And you know why it's tempting? Let's let's jump into the ag metaphor for a second. Let's say that you're a landowner and you have a river on your land, and you're sitting right next to that river and you're digging a cistern. And someone comes up and is like, "Why would you dig a? Why would you dig your own cistern that's going to break? It won't even hold water when you have a river right here." It's because we would say, yeah, but what if the river dries up? What if the river stops being a river? What if it's just a flash in the pan river? <laughs> you know? I gotta have a I gotta have some control somehow. Cause there's the, there's there's something within us that is kind of buying into the same lie that Adam and Eve did that like, what if God's not as good as he says he is? What if God's holding out on you? What if, what, if, what if eating of that tree is really the key to a whole new world where you get to also be God? What if you can't count on him? That's, that's, the, real, that's the real thing for us. We're seeking guidance. 
And so what I want to do is make a case for the fountain of living water. Like, God has made a case for his trustworthiness in terms of being our guide. And so where does that come from? Here's a couple of things. Instead of earthly wisdom, James speaks of heavenly wisdom. So what is what is wisdom in the first place? Wisdom is a crude, not crude, not weird crude, simple, just simple. Pretend I said simple. Simple definition. It's, it's knowing what to do and how to do it. That's what wisdom is. Got to make a choice. Wisdom is I know what to do and I know how to do it. Earthly wisdom is telling us certain things, but there's a wisdom of heaven that God offers to us. Now, if you're wondering, is God trustworthy as a guide? Here's a couple of things about him. This is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Says, and, and let me read this. And you, you, tell me, you tell me if you want him or Delilah to give you relationship advice. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How, how high are the heavens above the earth? Well, they hadn't found the end of the universe yet. So pretty far. And so God's like, okay, it's not that like my, like my ways are like, high, like a little higher than yours. He's like, you can't even measure it. My ways, my thoughts are completely other than yours. In Isaiah 46, 8 through 10, it says, remember this and stand firm and recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Declaring the end from the beginning. Okay, so... So we're we're on this linear timeline, you know. We're kind of we're moving this way on the linear timeline, and God's like, "Yeah, I, I I see the whole thing. I see the end from the beginning. Uh, from the ancient days, there's things that not even happened. I see it. He looks at the whole timeline at once, and so if His ways are infinitely higher than mine, and His thoughts are infinitely higher than mine, and His perspective is where He's seeing everything all at once." Do I need to pick up the phone and call Delilah? No. That's a fountain of living water. That's who he is. And so what does what that's heavenly wisdom. That's why he knows what to do and how to do it. And so what does he do with this heavenly wisdom? Well, let me read to you Psalm 32 verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He's holding it out to us. 
He's, he's not like, yeah, I, I know everything and I'm keeping it all to myself. Says, no, I'm, I'm ready to counsel you. I'll show you the way to go and I'll do it with my eye upon you. Like, he's not like, you, you ever call tech support and you talk to someone that's like somewhere else and they're trying to talk you through a computer problem or you know, whatever it is? No, he's like, he's like I'm, literally, I'm with you in the moment. Physically, like present, a hundred percent with you. I, he's as present in this room as he is in heaven. Like just a hundred percent of him, and so he's like, "No, I know what's going on." In fact, I see it from a much higher perspective than you, and I also know what's coming next because I see the end from the beginning. So, so here's all this this infinite perspective that he's saying. I'm going to apply all that as I counsel you and walk you forward. Now, you went to James, but. Two hours ago, it feels like. Uh, look at James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now we're going to look at the next verse in just a second, but think about that for a second. If you lack wisdom, James has this crazy, crazy plan of what to do, and you just ask. That's crazy. If you lack wisdom, just ask, and he'll give it to you. You need guidance in a, in a situation to make a decision, big, life-altering, pivot Trajectory decision, or in the moment you're praying and be like, God, how in the world do I answer this question? Or how do I handle this interaction? And everywhere in between, ask for wisdom and he'll give it to you. That's fantastic. Like, how does it, how does it get better than that in terms of a guide? Now, if you look at the next verse, let him ask in faith without doubting, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. See, James is on, James is like on point enough to know that's not as simple as like just asking for wisdom. You have to also trust that he's the source, that he's a trustworthy source, that that you're not sitting next to the river digging a cistern because you're you're convinced that the river you can't count on it. James is like, "Hey, you need to make sure that doubt and faithlessness is not caught up in there. You need to you got to see him for who he is." And I hope this is helping us see him for who he is. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. Now, turn over to, to chapter 3 in James. And look at verse 14. He describes for us, he contrasts the broken cistern, earthly wisdom, with the living water, heavenly wisdom. See if this doesn't describe the world that we live in as it's throwing advice at us. I'm so tired of advice. Like who, well, whatever. If you have, it's verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, 
Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Doesn't that sound like what's really like woven all throughout earthly wisdom? Is selfish ambition. Making it all about money, making it all about power, making it all about the this this like uh, American dream kind of life in the sense that we should have like very low risk lives. That we just need to be just like happy and content and whatever that kind of means. We need to have this nice like whatever. It's woven all through there, selfish ambition and disorder. And that's where so much of the advice comes our way in that regard. So that's what earthly wisdom, and that's what earthly wisdom looks like. And then he contrasts it. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Which, which do you want speaking into your life decisions? Which do you want helping shape the choices you're making about how to parent your kids? How to interact with your friendships? How to resolve conflict? How to work through forgiveness? Uh, how to decide where you're going to live and what, who you, what you're going to be when you grow up and how you're going to plan for your future, all that kind of stuff. What, who do you want speaking into that? Do you want selfish ambition and disorder or do you want... The peaceable, open to reason, uh, like a beauty of heavenly wisdom. God's saying you do have a choice, and even in that. Not, not only is that heavenly wisdom there, but it's like, well, how, how does He get it to me? You know, that's another another hang up that a lot of people have. It's like, yeah, but what if I miss? What if I hear God wrong? How do I know it's how do I know it's God and not me? And and that's like a. That's a whole like, you know, sermon series in and of itself. But let me just give you a little bit of assurance that he's thought of everything in that regard. In every regard. Because when Jesus came, after the resurrection, he's like, okay, folks, i got to go. Because the helper is going to come. And everything's about to change. Because rather than the Spirit... Uh, and the the spirit will dwell within you. So I'll take out your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I'll write my words on your heart. Put my spirit within you. We've studied that all summer long. So this is how Jesus would say it, like in John sixteen thirteen, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That God himself lives within you and is declaring to you the things that are to come. The guide that you're looking for lives within us. Like dwell, like You are filled with the very guidance that we are seeking. You don't have to travel to a certain city. You don't have to, you don't have to like say a certain kind of prayer. You don't have to like behave a certain kind of way. He's like, I have saved you. I've redeemed you. I'm coming to live inside of you. And I'm going to guide you into the truth. That's, that's who he is. It's what he does. Jesus said this in John 14, 25, 26. 
These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, like capital H helper, that's, that's how into this God is. Is that he gave the Holy Spirit a nickname. And it's the helper. To help us walk the path of righteousness. When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So at no, at no moment in our lives are we out of connection with the very guidance that we seek. At no, at no point. Sure, we go through times where it feels like God is distant and those kinds of things, but the reality is at, at no point are we detached from him. I find that incredibly comforting. I found that incredibly empowering. I feel like I can walk into any situation and know what to do. And that's not that's not self confidence. That's not that's not experience from pastoring for a long time or anything like that. I'm just like, well, he pretty much set me up to succeed, right? His ways are infinitely higher. He sees the end from the beginning. Uh, he has this heavenly wisdom that all I have to do is ask for. And when he gives it to me, it's through the spirit that he is from him living inside of me. And so I'm pretty much good to go. It's incredible. And then, we haven't even talked about the Bible yet. For those who like tangible things, he's given us his word that also communicates and guides. It says in 2 Timothy 3, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So it just keeps getting better. His ways are higher. He sees the end from the beginning. He has the wisdom of heaven that he speaks to me through his spirit at work within me, and he's given me a book. Like, bring it, you know? Like, I, it makes no sense with, with that in mind for my first, the first person I call when I have to make a choice to be a friend. It makes no sense for the first place I turn to be any source of worldly wisdom. Even the greatest of friends should not be our, our first person we turn to. You go to the fountain of living water and you drink it in. And you drink and you drink and you drink. And that gives this clarity. And then you know, who who should I talk to? Then you're able to work through the left brain stuff, the logical things. that you. If you have job offers, you have to look at the, the you have to examine that. But from what perspective and who's guiding you through the logical stuff? Who do you seek in terms of wise counsel? You ever you ever pick the wrong person to talk to? Happens all the time. When we've been drinking from the fountain of living water, he helps us filter our way through all those other things that are good gifts from God. He he gave us the left brain and the right brain on purpose. He gave us these relationships on purpose. It's just sometimes we lean on them in ways they weren't created to be leaned on. Digging our own cisterns. And so he has completely set us up to be able to be guided through life. It's just incredible. 
And so it comes down to this same thing of like, do I find God to be a trustworthy source of speaking into my life and leading me down the path? And I can say that I do. I can say that I feel that way more now than I did 20 years ago. And in 20 more years, if I live that long, I'll feel more confident in it than I do now. Because it's, it's what we're learning, right? That's what we're doing. We've, we've like locked arms together. We're walking through life together and we're learning this very thing. And so if this is a struggle for you, I would just want to encourage you. It's, it's worth it. Like he, he is worth it as our teacher and as our guide. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're kind of like, I, this might be like a thing I need to press into a little bit more, then I hope that you will do that. Now you might be here being like, man, I, I feel like I'm doing, I feel like I really approached this really well, then I hope that you're encouraged. That, that's absolutely the case. And if you're sitting here and you're being like, this is completely foreign to me, I don't even know what, you, t- you mentioned Jesus at some point and I need to know more about that. Then I want you to stick around after we're done and let's talk about let's talk about that. But see, something like this, like a kind of topical teaching thing, it, it applies to different to all of us differently. And so you have to be a good steward of what God may be stirring within you. But it, the real takeaway for us has to be. Not so much, let's point out how broken the cisterns are, but let's talk about how deep the living water is. And I hope that you hear him beckoning to all of us. Like, like come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's, that's, that's the invitation for us. Let me read you one final thing. As far as is God trustworthy? And us, can we just be teachable in this? And read, this is from Isaiah 30. This is what he's speaking to, to these like folks who have struggled to find him trustworthy. And they've struggled with the very things that we're always struggling with. This is what he says to them. This is starting verse 19. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher, capital T, Your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or you turn to the left. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. And you'll scatter them as unclean things. You'll say to them, be gone. That when when we see him for who he is, 
Anything else is just ridiculous. And so I hope that we will taste and see. And we certainly have uh, things happening after this. But it's, that's not more important than what God want, is speaking to us in this time. And so those of you who are regulars, you know, we, we usually we like to kind of sing after the sermon and kind of just give us a chance to pray or listen to other people sing, sing ourselves, and just to kind of like be in whatever God is stirring before we bless each other and dismiss, that kind of thing. So we're going to sing maybe a little more than we normally do today. Um, and I would encourage you to use this time to just meet with the Lord. Maybe it's tied to the songs. Maybe you, you want to spend some time praying. Uh, these steps are always open. If you just, you're just like, man, I need to get out of the aisle here. I need to get, I need to put some legs to this, literally. Uh, this is, this is our time to respond to what God may be stirring. So let's stand together as I pray for us. Lord, there, um, there will be plenty of time for us to um, apply these, you know, things to the different decisions we're having to make and all that kind of stuff. There's time for that, and I hope that we will steward it well. But these moments really are about uh, us coming face to face with that question of whether or not we find you to be trustworthy. None of us wants to be that person sitting next to the river digging, digging a cistern because we're skeptical about that river. I'm so thankful that from cover to cover, your scriptures remind us of your track record of faithfulness. And our lives reflect that as well. At the same time, I know that there's probably people here this morning in the room or people watching on the live stream who are in, in a spot where maybe that's a little bit harder to grab onto and it's not lost on any of us. It's not lost on you, most importantly. And so would you, Father, in these moments, just speak to those concerns. Meet us all where we are as we we rest in the fact that you... Um, that you really are as good as you say you are. That we don't have to take control and resort to our own stuff. We can just rest in the goodness that you offer to us. So may this time be one of uh, humility and teachability for us as we sing and pray and just respond to the things you're stirring within us.